Now, reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. This is from the Common English Bible. It's in a bit, a bit of a jump. Uh, chronologically, this is another one of the texts selected from the Revised Common Lectionary. This happens to fall on what the Sunday known as Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year. Pilate went back into the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own, or have others spoken to you about me? Pilate responded, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and its chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. So are you a king? Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. I was born and came into the world for this reason, to testify to the truth. Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The world has its calendar. The church has ours. The church marks our time by the life and ministry of one called Jesus. And as I said earlier, this is the last Sunday of the year on the Christian calendar. And of course, it happens to coincide with my last Sunday among you as your pastor. And next Sunday, the new year begins in the church year with Advent, as we anticipate the different ways Jesus shows up still in our lives and in our world, and then eventually at Christmas we celebrate his birth. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, however. On Christ the King Sunday, or the Reign of God Sunday, as some have come to call it, the year for the church comes to a conclusion, but really even more so, a culmination all things move toward the ultimate reign of God, the realized kingdom. Not merely as a resting place for those who have gone on before us, but perhaps, and more importantly, a way of living and being in this world for those who see the vision here and now. Now, there are at least two ways, generally, that Christians approach the central message of this Sunday in the church year, and I can briefly sketch them out for you. The first is to make the bold claim of faith that the kingdom of God has priority over every other earthly kingdom. And so in the coming weeks, many communities will listen to choruses or church choirs or carols or sing Handel's Messiah uh, with that refrain, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, there is comfort to many Christians in this way of seeing it. The church in the United States over the last generation or two has lost much of its influence in the spheres of politics and culture. We've learned these past few years in the Pew Report polls of the rise in the numbers of what they're calling the religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and the religious duns, D-O-N-E-S, people that claim no religious affiliation or that they're done with it. 
Will Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas wrote about this 30 years ago in their classic book called Resident Aliens. Willimon talked about how his world shifted on its axis in 1963 when the Blue Laws, if you remember what those were, changed in Greenville, South Carolina, and as some of the youth slipped out of church on a Sunday evening and went to watch a movie. Humorous, but there was a point there. The church at first in Maine was no longer the tower of strength in the community, and today this is more likely to be a football stadium or a corporate skyscraper or a massive hospital with floors ascending to the sky. We look around and we see a little sign that we are at the seat of power, although we may cling to the memory of privilege. And so, if taken this first way too sharply, Christ the King Sunday can be a sort of way of reassuring ourselves that all indicators to the contrary are actually true, and God is indeed still in control and does so through, of course, us. The other approach is is usually to come to grips with the reality that we're not in control, that God is the boss of our lives, and so we submit ourselves to this sort of relationship. And this goes against the grain of our human nature. Deep down, we really do want to be in control. We want to have say, and we resist the change that Jesus calls us to this fundamental invasion of our lives when he says, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. There's that word again, kingdom. Now, I do need to comment here that the language of kingdom is one that understandably calls forth suspicion and critique. It can be interwoven consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, with our notions of patriarchy and privilege and power. And many times, you, you may have noticed that I prefer to use the word kingdom instead of kingdom, to avoid some of the problematic challenges of language. And in addition, when the church or when leaders of the church, we become too enmeshed in or identified with the kingdom, the power, and the glory, there have been cases of abuse and corruption and all manner of moral hypocrisy and heresy. This is our story told in massive volumes of church history and in yesterday's newspaper or perhaps Facebook post. But let's remember what Jesus told himself and told us about that word. The reason I'm using kingdom today on all Sundays for Christ the King Sunday is because that was actually the word. And it didn't, you know, yes, there are all these undertones and, and underpinnings with the word kingdom. But what was he saying when he said the kingdom of God? My kingdom is not originating from this world. The word kingdom here literally means empire, which is why today on this Sunday of all days, I'm using that word kingdom and not kingdom. God's empire, God's program for the world, God's kingdom does not align neatly with our political parties. If we think Jesus would vote the way we vote, someone has remarked, we've probably created Jesus in our own image. Every now and then as a minister, people ask questions or they just make assumptions that they're basically wondering, are you part of my tribe and would you be willing to preach against someone in another tribe? It's, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's probably something similar when they ask Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he responds, 
My kingdom is not from this world. He was, in fact, from a tribe, born to a Jewish household, but he resisted identification of his kingdom with any tribe, human or ethnic or national, and today I believe he would resist alignment with any of our partisan political parties. Back in 2015, that's been a minute, hasn't it? We witnessed the horror of the murders of nine persons who were attending a Bible study in Mother Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston. Now, the aftermath included grief and anger and lament and astonishing words of forgiveness all at the same time and, and compelling leadership by two women, by the governor of the state and the representative of that community. And this leadership led to the removal of the Confederate flag, which symbolized the scarred past and a people who shared a tragic and simple history. It claimed the allegiance of some, especially in the region which many of us have lived for most of our lives, the southern United States. Now, in the aftermath of those murders and through a series of events that can only be interpreted as some sort of divine providence, in my mind, the flag came down. And in the forgiveness offered by the family, there was a great reversal. Do you remember? What if our allegiance was not to any flag, but to God's program for the world, first and foremost, to say it the way Jesus said it, to God's kingdom first? My kingdom is not from this world, Jesus says, sharing God's vision for the world. So if this kingdom is not from this world, where is it from? What is it about? Well, we have some clues in these Gospels we, we refer to. In Matthew 11, we encounter John the Baptist, who is imprisoned by Herod, another and very different sort of king than God. We read there in Matthew 11 that when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, you remember this? Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me for these things. Then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, in this story about a great judgment, we read a rather terrifying story about a final day of reckoning, a day of judgment, read it again, not for individuals, but for nations who ignore the plight of the most vulnerable among them. We read, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. Did you hear that? All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And likewise, as the story goes on, those who you didn't do it for, you also didn't do it for me. And so throughout the pages of these Gospels, Jesus is painting a picture of what it is to live in light of God's program for the world. It's not an alignment with whichever political party happens to be in power, nor is it about gaining control of whichever tribal church we happen to belong to. It is a self-emptying. If one wants to be great in God's kingdom, what did Jesus say? Learn to be the servant of all. But our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his words, but also by the way he lived, gave us a different path. In these vivid words from a reading called Amal and the Night Visitors, the child we seek doesn't need our gold. On love alone he will build his kingdom. His pierced hand will hold no scepter. His haloed head will wear no crown. His might will not be built on your toil. Swifter than lightning, he will soon walk among us. He will bring us new life and receive our death. And the keys to his city belong to the poor. This kingdom, Jesus says, is not from this world. And so on Christ the King, on the reign of Christ Sunday, we come face to face with the one who comes not as a dictatorial ruler, but as a servant. The radical reconstruction in our becoming more like him, the path through Christian history of Francis and Claire, of Romero and Bonhoeffer, of Rosa Parks and Pope Francis, and also uh, in 2015, as we read about a moment ago, the Emmanuel Martyrs of Charleston, but also the way of countless people who've gone before us this is the journey of Christian discipleship, using our power, using our influence, not for self-promotion, but for the common good, expending our resources to alleviate human suffering, employing our strengths when we are strong to bear the burdens of one another when we are weak. This is where our more conventional ways of understanding Christ the King in a world where Christianity is the dominant religion in most places in the world really begins to break down. It is not that Jesus is the king of the church over and against the world. It is more complicated, but also more beautiful and more hopeful than that. As Karl Barth once commented, if we see Jesus alone, we do not see Jesus at all. If we see Jesus, we see him with and around him, 
accompanied by people in ever-widening circles, his disciples, his enemies, the people, and countless millions. These past five years, we have worked together, friends, to, to build this beloved kingdom of God. We've laughed together. We've cried together. We've worked together. We've rested together. We've served together and served each other. We've served our broader community together. We've enjoyed lighthearted moments together, and we've weathered heavy storms together. And though you and I will be serving from different locations moving forward, we cannot quit This kingdom we seek to build is not of this world. It is not temporary. It knows no end. It is not limited by who stands in the pulpit or who sits in the pews. We will continue to welcome people into God's beloved community, the kingdom of God, which knows no national borders, no boundaries to separate human beings from one another. And by the way, it's not just a destination. The kingdom of God is the journey. Pilate could not wrap his mind around it, though Jesus was trying to tell him. And like Pilate, many people today will not understand it because it is so vastly different than the kingdoms of this world that it appears to be almost like an alternate universe to so many. But to those willing to let go of their thirst for power, and willing to be led instead by their love of neighbor, it is life-changing. For in this kingdom, the last are first. The first are last. The least are the greatest. The poor are actually the richest. It makes perfect sense to me. How about you? For this kingdom, may we continue to love and to live and to labor Thanks be to God. Amen.